Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. The Rose Bowl. The game that inspired the college football bowl season has a long and storied history. The stadium itself is 100 years old, and in celebration of it, Pigskin Dispatch is assembling some of the top historians and authors to share the memories, people, and events that make the granddaddy of them all the special game that it is. Enjoy this Rose Bowl memory from pigskindispatch.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And it is portal to Rose Bowl history this month as we are celebrating 100 years of the Rose Bowl Stadium, 1923 to 2023 100 years of the stadium a lot more games than that have been played as a matter of fact this will be the 109th uh rose bowl being played here in 2023 and we're trying to cover each and every rose bowl game and we have a lot of historians and experts coming on and and just telling us and uh, sharing this great memories of rose bowl history and tonight we have another great one uh historian tom branham is coming to join us uh tom welcome to the pig pen it's a pleasure to be here, Darren. It really is. How are you doing tonight? Uh, doing just great, Tom. Uh, maybe you could share with the listeners just a little bit about your your football fandom, You know how, how you became a, a college football fan, and you told me before that the Rose Bowl is one of your favorite games to watch. Oh, yeah. just a, It was always one of the fondest memories of New Year's Day. I always remembered my mamma used to watch, used to love watching the Tournament of Roses parade, and... I would always try to sneak into another room. I'd start watching a cotton bowl, but it always, and it always came out to, there's just something different about five o'clock, five, five thirty every new year's day or January 2nd. If it was on a Sunday, right. Just seeing the San Gabriel mountains, just seeing, just seeing one of the greatest games of all time. Usually special things did happen nine times out of 10. They did. They most certainly did. They saved it for the, the later part of the day to have some of these great uh, football activities on, on that New Year's Day, haven't they? You better believe they did. You uh, signed up to to talk about a very interesting Rose Bowl game, and I'm going to let you uh, introduce the game and tell us a little bit about it and who the participants were in that. All right. It was the 1993 Rose Bowl on January 1st, 1993. It was the rematch of the 1992 Rose Bowl where Washington beat the absolute snot out of Michigan to win a share of the national title. This game, however, was a little different. Michigan was ranked number seven going in. Washington was ranked number nine. Now, coming in, Michigan had a, probably one of the most unique un, 
unbeaten seasons I'd ever seen going into that. 8-0-3. and Isn't that something? Yeah, three ties in a college season. That's amazing. And you're on, and they won and they were unbeaten too. I mean, that's crazy. However, as much as I'd love to say things were all hunky dory up on Montlake for Washington, I would be lying if I said they were going into that because they weren't. The LA Times decided to publish a piece about some players taking loans and whatnot. Well, and that seemed to kind of ruin their focus because they go out after beating the team they shared the Pac-10 with Stanford after they beat them. Arizona ended their long winning streak. So when they came into the Rose Bowl, they were reeling. They had lost two out of three, and they got embarrassed by Washington State in the Apple Cup going into that, which that should have been an omen right there. But I guess you never know. You would hope it wouldn't have been, but I guess it was an omen. The bad things that would happen in this day. Although I can't really say this was a bad game. Personally, it was I hated the final score, but to, as the football fan that I am, it was one of the greatest I've ever seen by far. Yeah, it's had a lot of excitement to it, uh, especially for lovers of offense, because there was plenty of that and plenty of scoring. And uh, who were some of the, the stars of these teams coming in that, the, you know, that Michigan counted on and that Washington counted on? Oh, geez. This one, uh, Tyrone Wheatley. I mean, he had taken over the starting job from Ricky Powers. The guy was phenomenal. I mean, he was a big back with breakaway speed and oh, good grief that he killed the Huskies. <laughs> Good grief. What, 235 yards and three long touchdowns on 15 carries? Can you imagine if he'd gotten at least five or ten more carries? He'd have had over 300 yards that day. Easy. Yeah, he was definitely a a big power back. But like you say, once he uh, saw some daylight, he was running like uh, he he stole the ball. You know, it's uh, he was was, uh, he was a good back. You better believe he was. I mean, he and he ran, and it was a grass field, and he ran great on grass, which, you know, seems weird. But yeah, some people run better on different surfaces. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. You a lot, there's a lot of times those big uh, those bigger guys will run a little bit better on the natural turf than they will. Of course, you know, back then it wasn't even really too much field turf coming in at that point in time in the nineties. They was just starting to to come around a lot more. It was like the astral yeah. turf carpet it was the, the the artificial turf so which was a you know to puts a lot of bounce in your step but uh i know being on it uh, quite a bit it really wears down your your ankles and your shins after a while being on those rubber mats uh compared to the grass where it take you know the grass and the dirt sort of takes the impact a lot more so i think the big guys like that uh that's uh it probably helps them out a little bit yeah it was yeah i bet it did i mean it just you know you, I mean, yeah, those artificial surfaces are no joke. Yeah, or no joke back then, especially. That's for sure. So, okay, so who did Washington have going for them? Who, who was their stars that they counted on to, when they were playing the season? Let's uh, see. They had, I mean, the quarterback spot was a revolving door between Billy Joe Hobart and Mark Brunel, but Brunel, 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 I mean, Hobart was suspended for the game because of what I had talked about earlier. So Brunel came in and he absolutely lit it up. I mean, if Michigan hadn't won this game, Brunel probably would have become, he probably would have won MVP. He would have been the first two time MVP in Rose Bowl history, I do believe. Yeah. So, so they, they went to the bullpen and brought out the lefty. 
oh my gosh, he he played good. Although one of his touchdown passes in that game when they were down 17-7 probably should have been intercepted. If Corwin Brown jumps maybe a second, times the jump a little better, he intercepts a 64-yard touchdown for Jason Shelley when they were down 17-7. So, hmm. and when I saw when I saw him do that, when I look back at it, and I was like, shades of Brett Favre, because <laughs> that was a kind of pass Brett Favre would have thrown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, Brunel, it was known for, I mean, even when he was a professional down in Jacksonville, he was a gunslinger. He, he he liked to sling the ball around and took some chances. And that's what some of the good ones do. You know, like you mentioned, Favre and uh, you know, yeah. Brunel was one in that same mold. Oh, yeah, that was just so, I mean, that pass was like, whoa, did he really just do that? <laughs> when I saw that, was crazy. So that's play you're talking about right there that that got him back in the game they were down 17 17 7 that brings him back to 17 14 with that play and then they come back later in the half and they take a touchdown from brunel to mark bruner 21 17 halftime lead nice okay but (laughs) second half tyrone wheatley strikes again that, that's time. sort of that's sort of Michigan's mo, though. You know, especially in those those eighties and nineties, and even the seventies, they they wanted to pound you down and wear down that defensive line, and uh, just keep throwing those big backs and big bodies on their their offensive line at you. And after a while, it takes its toll. I think that plays right into the the kind of game that they wanted to play. Well, yeah, and they had a they had an advantage because the Huskies had a speed based off defensive front, which. You're playing against a big power front like Michigan. You better get past those guys quick or they're going to wear you down the entire game. And that's exactly what happened. Those big uglies wore the Huskies out. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, so many games are won and lost in the trenches. And if if you've got the big brutes up front, you're usually going to – and you can stand stand the test of uh, the early game and uh, stay in it. Chances are pretty good for you near the end. Yeah, you know, and it's, and what you said about, you know, game being one loss of trenches, in today's modern high-passing game, yeah, it still matters today. Absolutely still matters. I'm not going to say it doesn't because it really does. Yeah, it's it's sort of it's a trendy thing. I think we're starting to see a resurgence, especially in a professional level, of going back more to the run. You know, it's not the, as pass happy as it was maybe four or five years ago. I think there's a lot of teams that are becoming more balanced oh, yeah. at their offense, which is kind of refreshing. Oh, yeah. I, I like the running game. Yeah, hey, hey, you pass to sell tickets, you run to win. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Very true. Okay, so we got we got a close ball game it's right around halftime, right? And so, and you said Wheatley starts coming on in the second half. And what, what's Washington trying to do to to uh, you know, either score or keep up with Michigan or try to slow down Wheatley? Well, they couldn't really slow him down on that. That was the first play of the second half, eighty-eight yard touchdown from Wheatley. Wow, that's <laughs> no, a dagger. No slowing that down, and yet the Huskies didn't give up either. <laughs> They just kept fighting the entire game. I mean, they played, they played pretty hard. I mean, that was prob. That's why it was one of my favorite games. That's why this one's one of my favorites because it was just back and forth. Yeah, when Michigan got up seventeen seven, Huskies fought back, and wouldn't you know it, it ended up being a dogfight all the way to the end. And that's why, you know, the Husky fan in me hated it, but the college football fan in me loves it. <laughs> 
because it was a good game. Yeah, that's that's true. When you get in a game, it hurts a little bit more, right? Oh, gosh. There's nothing more embarrassing than seeing your team blown out. And Michigan in 1980, 1981 Rose Bowl against the Huskies did just that. They blew them out. I know 23 to 6 doesn't sound like a big blowout, but yeah, it was a blowout, believe it or not. Yeah, it feels a lot better when you have uh, with when it's a one score game and you have the ball near the end of the game and your team at least has a chance to to tie it or take the lead or uh, you know keep in the game. That, that makes it a lot more interesting. But when it's a you know multi score with you know the two minute warning hits and you, know, you have no chance, it's a more kind of a sour and... taste in your mouth, doesn't it? Yeah, and and it's funny you mentioned that because at the end. Towards with about a minute, little over a minute left in the fourth quarter, the Huskies of Washington picked up a blocked punt. So they had first and 10 at the Michigan 46 with a little over a minute left. So they, they had one final shot, but thanks to some horrendous play calling on that's those four plays, they lost. They well, didn't tell, have a chance. Well, tell us a little bit about that series. What, what, what kind of plays were they running? Well, I know it was crazy to think you could run. They could, they all four plays were passes. Maybe you could have snuck a run, sneak a run or two in just to, you know, try to catch them off guard. Cause I think they could have caught them off guard with that. I mean, I mean, yeah, but, four straight incompletions. Well, do you know, did they have timeouts left in, in their pocket? No. Okay. So no, that's probably why have. they didn't run then. They were probably worried about the clock running. Well, but at the same time, the clock stops on first down. So, that's a thinking that you can get up to the line quick and spike it if you get a first down. Uh, that's true. But you run a play, I think it's uh, anywhere from seven to eight seconds, even the best teams trying to get lined up and getting a snap off. And once the umpire sets the ball, so it's all, it's all real precious time when you're, you're down at score and uh, you want to do it until you yeah. score. And then there's too much time left on the clock. You know, just ask uh, uh, the Buffalo bills uh, last year in the playoffs, oh, <laughs> those 13 geez. seconds. <laughs> I know what you mean, but I'm, I was just saying, I thought maybe they could have tried to sneak at least one run in just to keep them honest at least. Maybe yeah. try at least one, maybe catch them, maybe catch them sleeping. Yeah. I mean, not that it would have mattered. Michigan held Napoleon Kaufman to 41 yards that day on 20 carries. Mm-hmm. So Michigan did the job on them. Yeah, they're usually pretty stout against a run, that's for sure. Huh, very oh, yeah. interesting. So, so, uh, so Washington just turned it over on downs there with less than a minute left. Is that what, how yep. and then, game over and victory game formation over. for, uh, for Michigan yep. and, uh, victory formation clock had zeros and, uh, it's off to, off to the dances, right? Something like that, man. <laughs> Who would have known that would have been the last game of the great era known as the Don James era. Yeah, boy, he, he had some really tremendous games with, with Washington, and uh, you know, yeah. coaching them brought him multiple Rose Bowls. Um, this is what his third in a row was. This one, yeah, they would have become the first. I think they would have become the first team to win. I think they would have become the first team to win three in a row. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong on that. But yeah, it, Southern Cal is maybe the only other one I that think, had a yeah. chance at it. But I don't think that they did. Um, yeah, Southern Southern Cal had a nice run like that a few years before Washington did. 87, 88, 89 seasons going to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah, they. I don't see where they did it though. Stanford yeah. won a couple in a row. UCLA won a couple in a row. Southern Cal did, and uh, 
in Washington. So, hmm, very yeah, interesting. And I think USC, let's see. Yeah, USC actually did it from the 2006, 2008 season. So it's been done now. So. Yeah, right. Okay, yeah. So, so since then it's been done, but not, not prior to that. They would have been the first yeah. ones. They would have been the first to do it. And Mark Brunel, if Washington would have won, Brunel would have been the first two-time MVP, I do believe. Well, no, they, there was a couple of two-time MVPs in it uh, earlier than that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of who it was. Um, we just talked about the other day. But uh, it's been it's happened a couple of times where somebody's oh, been I See, I didn't know that. See, yeah. I just learned something. Well, well maybe not, though, because maybe they were a co-MVP one game. I know the one gentleman was, he was a co-MVP, like his sophomore year and his junior year, he ended up being the, the most outstanding player by himself. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe, you know, the only MVP of the game could have been Burnell if he would have done that. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he came to play that day. Don't, don't think he didn't. He did. <laughs> oh, he certainly came to play that day. And it was crazy that it, five minutes left in the game, Michigan scores his the go-ahead touchdowns. The, the player I was thinking of was Charles White of USC in the 1979-1980. Charles White was uh, MVP, but he was co-MVP in the 1979 Rose Bowl uh, along with uh, Rick Leach, of the quarterback of uh, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then they played Ohio State the next year. He was uh, all by himself as the – and I think there might have been a, somebody that- before that too. I think he set the record in that game against Ohio State. I think what two hundred forty-seven yards rushing. It, it was it was up there. I can't remember exactly yeah, I what the numbers were. The were. Record. Yeah, yeah. just just think if Tyrone Wheatley had had maybe five or ten more carries in this game, he would have probably had over three hundred yards. The Huskies mm-hmm. just couldn't stop him. That's the bottom line. That's Michigan killed him on the ground in this game. But, and who would but, have ever thought? Gary, that'd be the only Rose Bowl Gary Muller would have won at Michigan. Who would have ever thought that? Right. Yeah. But you know what? There was, there was another player. There was a Washington player that had two MVPs in a row in Rose Bowls. Uh, Bob Schlerett, uh 1960, yeah, I, oh, 1961. That's right. That's but, right. but, but again, Schlerett had, uh, he was co-MVP. Uh, George Fleming, uh, the running back of Washington, yeah. shared it with him in 1960. And then 61, he was by himself as when they beat Minnesota. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So, uh, so Tyrone Wheatley ended up getting the MVP of this game. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if, know if we mentioned the final score, but it was a 38-31 game for Michigan. Yes. So, very, very close game. Uh, you know, as many of these Rose Bowls do, they come down to the last minutes. Even if one team's dominating, you know, some sometimes these other teams come back at the end and have these great comebacks and uh, make but it yeah, interesting. It was, it was ironic the year before that when these two teams played. It was a close first half. But Michigan forgot to show up in the second half. Because the Huskies, Washington killed them in the second half of that game. Yeah. That so was hmm. definitely a different game. Very interesting. Well, Tom, I thank you very much for coming on here and sharing these memories of the Rose Bowl, of this 1993 Rose Bowl, because it was definitely a great game with some great players and uh, uh, your passion for for your team. I know it was a sad day for you to watch it, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and so the listeners uh, talking about this great it Washington. Was sad, it was a sad day for me as a 10-year-old kid when that game happened. 
Uh, that's a, that's when it hurts worse, really. You know, you're a ten year old kid. Yes, yeah, your whole world's falling down when you're ten years old and your team loses. I I know. Yeah. <laughs> I can yeah, I can appreciate it now that I'm a little bit older. So yeah, it's just yeah, this is one of the best games, and it's one of those games that many fail to mention is one of the greatest Rose Bowls of all time. I I think it's and definitely it's up there. It's sad because it it's probably one of the greatest ones I've ever witnessed. Yeah, it, it's definitely up there. I don't know if it's at the, the point of being the, like the, the Texas USC game or, or some of those uh, early seventies ones. Yeah. Those are, there were some pretty good games there. It came down to the last second, yeah. but Hey, but when you have a team that's, you know, down near the red zone with a minute left and down by seven, you know, that, that makes a pretty good game. Pretty exciting when, when you have uh 70 points scored in a game too. That's, that's pretty Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow, that was a great one. So, so thanks a lot for joining us, and uh, really appreciate you. And uh, you know, hope to have you on again real soon. Absolutely, it was a, it was a pleasure to be on here tonight. I appreciate it. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.